Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. Klee Smith is away nerding out playing board games with friends in the wilds of Pennsylvania, so she's going to miss this wild show we have today. A double dose of live music Friday. To end the show, seven tubas that are part of a 35-piece tuba ensemble called Tuba Christmas. People at NEPM are like, what is wrong with this guy? Come on, man. Seven tubas. Ah, we'll also celebrate a local hero of love and justice who has been serving the Northampton area since 1989 and will become a Reverend Emeritus this Sunday, the Reverend Peter Ives. But for our first dose of Live Music Friday, the Basement Cats. These local heroes have been on the scene for years, a decade making music. They have a new project featuring members of the legendary Mobius band. They will be playing with the Claudia Malibu Tomorrow, Saturday, at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke, Anthony Cruz, Ray Cruz, and Anthony Sanchez, the Basement Cats. Take it away. Thank you. 
Esta se fue la buerrolita una vez que lo hiciste pero ya no necesitas escuchar con atención y verás como tanto yo te quieras hoy. Now everybody come together like sad people and bad weather. Be a go, a, a go getter. Leave this place not same but better now. The Basement Cats, who are playing at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke tomorrow night. From Holyoke, two brothers and a friend from from high school. Is that where Anthony Cruz and Ray Cruz met the other Anthony, Anthony Sanchez? Yeah, I actually met Anthony Sanchez in history class. Uh, Shout out to Mr. McAndrew from Holyoke High School. I'm sure that you play with your brother, who are both, you know, you two are both musicians at home. Is that, and then uh, what do you have to, you have to fill in the blank with another guitar player? So you have to find somebody out of high school to do it or what? Something like that. Yeah. We actually had a friend playing keyboard that we grew up with, um, but he went his own ways. And then we met Anthony Sanchez. We also have our drummer, Peter, who couldn't make it today. Uh-huh. Um, so our full ensemble is like a full four-piece rock band. Yeah, because sometimes um, your music feels like hard rock. And then in that one sounds somewhere between like the Everly Brothers or, or something like that. So do, is there a yeah. way that you describe Describe what kind of music you do, or just song by song, it's a different thing. You know, we would just have to call it rock and roll because I love it. We don't like to stick to one sound for too long. Once we finish the song, we feel like we finished the genre. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a merit badge in like a Boy Scouts. Okay, we've got the heavy metal badge. We're gonna move on from there. Where where does the name the Basement Cats come from? So we used to practice in basement and we had a stray cat who wandered into the basement and we kept him there and fed him and raised him and his name was Rocky he was Rocky the basement cat what, so was it in the Cruz's basement the two brothers basement or a different or the, enough, it was actually our sister's basement and then we ended up writing a song about it called uh, Rocky the basement cat uh-huh. and it tells the whole story we were throwing <laughs> a birthday party actually for my brother and then Rocky just came wandering in we kind of housed him there. The song goes on, says he went to space and all this crazy stuff. Um, and that part's not true? It's uh, soon to be true, hopefully right. one day. Cool. <laughs> Speaking with the Basement Cats, who are playing at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke uh, tomorrow alongside the Claudia Malibu. There's been a lot of changes in the local music scene. Uh, Holyoke's going to lose Gateway City Arts, it looks like, if another buyer doesn't come in, which is heartbreaking for all of us who love that live music in Holyoke. You guys have been playing around for 10 years. Tell me what your take is on the now, like, sort of post-COVID uh, local rock scene here in the fabulous 413. You know what? It definitely was a reset post-COVID. Like, you saw a lot of groups that we played with before. They just don't exist anymore. Um, but on a positive note, last year, a lot of the groups we played, there's been, like, newer people coming in. And it's kind of cool because there's a lot of creativity that happened, you know, in all these new groups that we played with around in the area. Um, but it's kind of sad. You see a lot of venues leaving, like, Gateway City Arts, which is a huge hit to the community. Um, so definitely come out and support. Um, show that music's still alive in the Western Mass scene. Definitely still going. Love it. And Claudia Malibu has a legacy in this uh, valley as well, playing music for a long time here. Yeah. Should we hear one more from the Basement Cats? Let's do it, yeah. Do you want to? Playing tomorrow night, Gateway City Arts in Holyoke. Yeah, Anthony Cruz, Ray Cruz, and Anthony Sanchez. Thank you. This is called Hypnopompia. I wish that I could paint a picture 
But painting isn't for me The constellations make me dizzy When they reflect against the sea I wish I could put out a candle With nothing but my fingertips I can't hold on, I've got no handle Now that the sun has been eclipsed What can I do? What can I say? When I have no hope that tomorrow Will be any better than today What will they write? I lost the fight The fall is always what it seems Let me softly float downstream To a place where I'm the queen Token for someone who cares My happiness broken When shoulders are choking Not fair A dream deferred Somebody's knocking But it's not three little birds I shout a word Much better left unheard What can I do? What can I say? When I have no hope that tomorrow Will be any better than today What will they write? I lost the fight The fall is always what it seems Let me softly float downstream To a place where I'm the queen Been rudely 
this token for someone who cares My happiness broken when shoulders are shaking not fair A dream tonight upstairs they're walking someone's talking just outside I showed a side I always meant to hide These pictures on my wall Remind me of a time I used to have These pictures on my wall The Basement Cats, who are playing at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke tomorrow night alongside... The Claudia Malibu, there was a lyric in that about shouting a word better left unheard. And uh, for FCC purposes alone, I'm very glad that that's what you decided to do in that song. Uh, you guys sound great. Thank you. Anthony Cruz, Ray Cruz, and Anthony Sanchez playing at Gateway City Arts in Holyoke tomorrow night. Later in the show, for your second dose of Live Music Friday, seven tubas from Tuba Christmas. We'll also celebrate a local hero of love and justice who's been serving the Northampton area since 1989, the Reverend Peter Ives. But up next, getting ready for the March for the Food Bank, which is this Monday and Tuesday. What to wear on this 43-mile shopping cart pushing jaunt to raise money and awareness for the Food Bank of Western Mass? I'll take you to the official costumers of the march, Swanson's Fabrics in Turner's Falls. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. I'm at Swanson's Fabrics, possessive and plural, here on Avenue A in Great Falls, which for years now has created the costumes that I wear for the March for the Food Bank, which are fun for me to wear, but also draw attention to the issue because TV cameras and people want to come and see somebody that's dressed up as an astronaut or a cowboy or whatever other crazy things I've been over the years. I can't even remember now, but you made me some incredible leather chaps as the COVID cowboy, Catherine Greenwood Swanson. Yes, I did. That was a really fun project. Sometimes I just bust them out for fun. And this year, I told Catherine that I was going to have a Barbie-themed celebration of drag in light of the Barbie movie. And the Stash House is where your trash-rich empire exists now. You moved from a smaller shop on Avenue A down the street, and now you've got classrooms and stuff. But your, your mission is to reclaim fabric and then sell it, but for $4 a yard, no matter whether it came from Broadway or somebody's basement. That's right. And actually, your Barbie dress is going to be made out of very fine silk, probably much nicer than anything Kate McKinnon had in that movie. You can go back to your regular life and forget any of this ever happened. Or you can know the truth about the universe. The first one, the high heel. We like to say that we're trash rich around here because a lot of the fabrics that we get donated are the pieces that were so nice that the original owner couldn't bring themselves to cut into it. Yeah. So we save them from uncertain fates and make sure that they get into the hands of people who will really appreciate them and use them. Catherine's mom. Emily Long. You are a costume designer. 
a retired costume designer I'm at this point. I'm a retired point. costume designer, and I also ran a costume shop for many years at Montgomery College in Maryland. And you have measured me and are now going to put the muslin on me to make sure that my weird Barbie dress will fit. That's my goal. Let's put it on. Let's see how okay. we're doing here. I'm going to wear my sweater because hopefully I'll have some layers because it's probably going to be cold. And the muslin is sort of like the outline or the sketch, the it's test. It's the mock-up of, yeah. the, of the pattern. I took a, a paper pattern and modified it, and now we see how close I got. And so I can cut into it and do whatever I want to it. Draw on it, do everything. I can't do that on nice, beautiful silk. Even you can't cut into it? No. The sleeve looks pretty good. Yeah, I like it. It's a good puff in there. Yeah, if you haven't seen Barbie, you should, but it's uh, got the weird Barbie is the fun one played by Kate McKinnon. Come into my weird house, hi. I'm Weird Barbie, I am in the splits, I have a funky haircut and I smell like basement. Oh my God, I had a weird Barbie. I'm practicing my splits, but I'm not so good at that. And she wears this awesome hot pink dress with poofy sleeves and crazy makeup on her face. I'm trying to convince my mom to see the movie. Oh, you're not seeing the movie? It's good. Hey, I had the original Barbie when I was in first that, grade birthday. So you should see the that movie. That's even more reason to see it. <laughs> She's like too punk to join with the rest of the world and see the movie. No, 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 no. This movie is important feminist movie. Oh, okay. And right after I got my first Barbie, my second Barbie had a bubble hairdo and blonde, and I was riding my bike home from elementary school, and I got home and she was headless. Yeah. A little traumatic. <laughs> I lost the head of the Barbie. That's kind of the idea behind <laughs> Weird Barbie. Find the girl who's playing with you. Playing with me. We're all being played with, baby. How do I look? I think, Catherine, what do you think is a fit? I think it looks good. Well, you're wearing that full sweater. Yeah. And you still feel I still like got a lot of movement. Room. Yeah. The sleeve is great, Mom. Yeah, the poofy sleeve is awesome. Yeah, I like that the muslin is pink, Mom. That was a nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? My Elvis costume that you made last year, the muslin, was white, and the suit was white, so that was nice, too. And well, I saw the weird mock-up of my muslin over in the other room over there. <laughs> well, we really loved that project. You know, when everything is the same price, your muslin, which... Muslin is a word for a type of fabric, but it's also a word for the first rough draft of your pattern. So when you can have any fabric for the same price, you may as well make your rough draft out of something pretty similar to what the end result is going to be because, well, I don't know, you get a better idea of it. Yeah. Do you want to see your fabric? Yeah. It's really pretty. <laughs> it's from my shelf at home, but it's what we had that was the right color. This is what I have that there's enough of. Just this gorgeous damask silk. Oh my oh, goodness, wow. it is nice. This is the private stock. This is from my shelf at home. Oh. This is from the deep, deep save pile. But do you see how it has in the weave? There's like... There's a, a texture and like a pattern in, in the hot pink. Nicely, yeah. yeah, that'll be fun. It's really elegant. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to cover it in appliques, which means sewing a piece on top, like mm -hmm. a patch or something, to get all of the designs and the mess. And Alex from Buckingham Rabbits is going to handle your like decoration and styling. Yeah, huge shout out to Alex too, who's been helpful all these years. But this year, because we have the professional costume designer on our side, the hope is Alex and I are not going to be up until 3 a.m. On the morning of the march. On the morning of the march, finishing your outfit. Me panicking, wondering whether my costume will be delivered in time for me to push off. <laughs> and it always has been, but it doesn't mean I had a great sleep the night before. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> well, I've always been trained that first dress, the costume is there and it's, and it's completed. And that's theater. The first dress is first dress. Opening night is opening night. You don't have a choice. Well, good. I might even be able to do a dress rehearsal with this dress. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Elvis costume when we when we were when we were leaving the day the Elvis costume, Ben Clark from Clarkdale Fruit Farm, Sean Barry who runs Four Seasons Wine and Liquors and staplers were all stapling me in certain locations right before, <laughs> before we left to make sure things weren't going to fall off. We're caught in a trap. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. That one was a feat. I just wore that one the other day too. I was speaking with the Lathrop community in Northampton, a retirement community who wants to participate in the march. And they're like, will you please come in costume? And I'm like, well, I'm going to come as Elvis then. And they loved it. I Well, that's always my hope is that you'll get more than one yeah. run out of these. Oh, definitely. Now I have to measure you for spats. Yeah, I'm going to wear sensible shoes as I walk, but we're going to make them look like I'm wearing weird Barbies, weird boots, which would not be good to walk 26 miles in. I wanted to make you a prosthetic leg to be able to hold up next to your face. You know how she puts her leg in the air? Yeah, because she does the splits. But I heard that you can... I make... can't do splits, but I can I can get close in the splits. And also, I don't really know if I should be carrying a fake leg with me the whole time. It's going <laughs> to just get in the way on the march. You could have like a leg handler. But I think that if you actually have this talent, let your... I don't. I'm working on it. <laughs> Someday I might. Um, well, I hope I get to see you try. Yeah, I could try right now, but I don't know how well these pants no, are taken. No, because I'm measuring you. I don't oh, yeah. Even, don't don't, don't interrupt the costume designer. Don't want you to kick me in the face. And you have your Ken coat. Yep, Mojo Dojo Casa House Ken is pretty much all set. I'm just having some brewski beers at my Mojo Dojo Casa House. You can stay if you want as my bride wife or my long-term, low-commitment, distance girlfriend. I got a fake muscle shirt to go underneath it. Oh my that should be the, that'll be the warmest I've ever been on the march. When I moved up here from Maryland to go to Hampshire College, I learned real fast to try to incorporate a full-length beaver fur coat into every one of my Halloween costumes. <laughs> because I was so cold otherwise. <laughs> I'm Cruella DeVille again. <laughs> 15 puppies, how marvelous. You got everything you need? Oh, no, I'll do one more measurement. Okay. <laughs> I always want one when I'm home and I don't have it. Measure once, cut twice is what they say, I think. Ah, uh, measure twice, cut once, I think is better. What, better. Whatever. This is really awesome and I love the fact that I don't have to, you know, go to Amazon and, <laughs> and order costumes to make this all happen. Like, it would have been easy to just push a button and have a weird Barbie dress come delivered in the mail. But the fact that you're reclaiming all this fabric, that you're repurposing it, it's with a mission, it's making it affordable for everybody, and then to give to do this for the food bank so that more people might pay attention is also awesome. So thank you. You're very welcome. And yeah, we're just here to show people like this stuff is possible. You can do it. Humans have been doing it for all of human history, and it is actually approachable. You can make clothes. Making clothes is the most fun. It's actually my favorite thing to do. I'm glad we could pull you out of retirement to do it. Oh, I'm glad you did. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mom. I really appreciate it. I'm too pregnant to do this alone. Oh. Such an excuse. <laughs> and I'm bad like the Barbie. I'm a dog, but I still want to our Hunger Awareness Week coverage is supported by Ted and Barbara Hebert of Teddy Bear Pools and Spas and by Greenfield Cooperative Bank. The March for the Food Bank is this coming Monday and Tuesday, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit with some veteran marchers. And later in the show, six, no, seven of the 35 tubas who make up Tuba Christmas. But up next, in recognition of his outstanding ministry, the Reverend Dr. Peter B. Ives will be named Pastor Emeritus of First Churches Northampton this Sunday, and we'll find out about his legacy of activism and love as he joins me with the current pastor of First Churches and his lovely wife. After this, you're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. Khalees Smith is away. Come Sunday... 
November 19th at 10 a.m. in recognition of his outstanding ministry, the Reverend Dr. Peter B. Ives will be named Pastor Emeritus of First Churches in Northampton, that storied institution. This is an article from 2010 by the late friend of ours, Fred Contrada, who passed away and was a great writer for the Springfield Republican, talking about the Reverend Peter Ives. His 21 years at the church make him the longest serving pastor since 1827, although several meeting houses have been built since the first one went up in 1657. The church has prided itself on its continuity. By his count, Ives is the 27th minister to lead the flock. Among the others was first and a uh, fire and brimstone preacher, Jonathan Edwards, whose sinners in the hands of an angry God sermon helped create the great awakening movement in America, I will argue that the Reverend Peter Ives brought his own style of uh, awakening in America and a little bit less fire and brimstone, but has even written a book about that storied pastor, about the uh, un, perhaps uncovered uh, love that the Jonathan Edwards ministry brought to uh, this area and beyond. The Reverend Peter Ives will be Pastor Emeritus of First Churches this Sunday and joins us in the studio, along with Jenny Fleming Ives, who has worked as a nurse clinician at Tapestry Health, and the current pastor of First Churches, Reverend Sarah Buto. Thank you all for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thank you, Monty. Now, full disclosure, the Reverend Peter Ives and, and I, as well as Jenny Fleming Ives, and even the Reverend Sarah Buto, uh, have a, a history that spans a, a great deal of time. And you, Reverend Ives, have been a, a, a staple on the March for the Food Bank, basically since the very beginning. But you go back to 1989 with First Churches in Northampton. What brought you here to uh, the Valley? I was um, the pastor of the New Haven Church in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, right near Yale. And I loved New Haven. Um, I flourished in New Haven. But I was ready to make a leave uh, from New Haven. And so I contacted the search committee here in Northampton, a wonderful, wonderful search committee. Um, and I contacted them and I said, um, I would love to interview with your search committee. And the um, response was, come. And I came, Jenny and I came. And it was a wonderful, wonderful committee. Uh, the first thing they asked me was, do you believe that women can be ministers? That was their first question. Wow. And, um, and, and your answer was? My answer was, my grandmother in Maine was a minister for over 50 years in the state of Maine. <laughs> and was known throughout New England for serving as a minister and teaching at Andover Newton Theological Seminary. It was a trick question. <laughs> they already knew that. that is they the, that they is already the, knew that, but yeah, they wanted to they, uh, challenge it, it was a great start from <laughs> my time with them. And we knew right away that this was a good, great fit for that's, for Peter and our family. That's the honorary Reverend uh, Jenny Fleming. <laughs> the honorary Ives, and also the Reverend Sarah Buto is here. <laughs> and there's a little kismet there because um, First Churches found Peter and Jenny at that church in New Haven. 
years and years earlier, they had found Jonathan Edwards at that same church. Wow. So <laughs> yes. you're really going on the Jonathan Edwards tour hundreds of years later, Reverend Ives. And Sarah Bateau went to school in Middlebury, Connecticut, where I was um, raised by my minister father and my mother. Uh, and so I have all these connections with Pastor Sarah Bateau. And, now, and Sarah, you're now the first full, you know, head lead pastor of First Churches. That is a woman in its entire history since, you know, we talked about when it was, when it was 1657. Yeah. Big shoes to fill. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about your past, Reverend Ives, and the, some of the things that you've done in your time here in the Valley. Um, one of the things is that you were, you brought... First Church is into the open and affirming category, one of the first in Western Mass, meaning it's going to be welcoming to gay people in your congregation at a time where this was not being done, even in places like Western Mass. What brought you to a, a decision to be an open and affirming church in that way? Well, I just felt very strongly that um, we should be able to have an open and affirming congregation. And um, my one of my f wonderful... Uh, leaders um, in my early church was um, a person named Marielle, who, who, who was a person who became gay. Uh, and the congregation um, loved this family. They were the most prestigious of all the families um, that I was serving. And they had to learn to accept, uh, as one of their dear children, a gay trans, trans mm -hmm. person. Uh -huh. uh, mm -hmm. And that was a big, big change for First Churches in Northampton. And also, people were coming to the church who did identify as gay and lesbian mm -hmm. and wanted to have a church home. And one of the two women couple, uh, couple came to you and wanted their uh, children baptized. Yes. And that was an impetus for you I think, Peter, to have a year-long um, exploration of this. And what year was that? Do we remember? Not 1995. Yeah. So, I mean, I, this is, I've thought about this uh, quite a bit. The, I knew people who eventually came out of the closet that I'd known for many years and then came out of the closet. But even as recently as 2002, I didn't know anybody who was gay from Jump Street when I met them. Mm -hmm. So we, th we think of all the progress that has been made mm -hmm. in this short amount of time. Um, it, but it has been, uh, it, it's relatively recent. And this in 1992 is very innovative. And then mm -hmm. fast forward to the 2000s. The one person who was gay when I first met them happened to be my uh, co-worker at WRSI at the time, Rachel Maddow, who has yes. gone on to relative yeah. obscurity at this point. Absolutely. But, yeah. Uh, but you arguably, Reverend Ives, uh, conducted the first legal same-sex marriage in the entire country. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, when Massachusetts made the decision um, to welcome people who were gay and lesbian. And marry them. And marry them. And that was important, marry them. Um, I stepped right up immediately. Well, it was actually our sexton. Mm -hmm. It was our sexton and, their part and, and her partner who came to you and said, we want yeah, to, we we to fast-forward this, and they got the special license. They got remember the special that? license mm -hmm. uh, several days ahead right. of the actual time when you could yes. start. They got mm -hmm. permission from, the, in, from Northampton to start the process early, earlier than 
any yeah. other place in in right. in, in, the, in the ballot. Right. I think I think there were some other weddings going on, mm-hmm. but certainly it was one of the very earliest. And and Nancy and Shay yeah. were married in the sanctuary of First Churches, right? Yes. And, and it was a grand, many people came. Mm, it was and, a grand occasion, yeah. Monty, just a grand occasion. <laughs> and no one was afraid. Everyone celebrated. It made First Churches uh, such a wonderful place to be in. Did you experience pushback at these times, either with conducting this first marriage when it was just on the cusp of being legal and becoming an open and affirming church? Was it something that you endured hardship from other religious leaders or other members of the community about making these decisions? Monty, I think everyone um, was was at that point, uh, even though we were ahead of the game, everyone wanted to um, be supportive and, and begin the process so that we found that we had a lot of support from other pastors and other congregations in the valley. And, and that, even though they had some problems with members in their congregations, they were always, always encouraging us to go forward. Well, I think you you sort of became a, a, a counselor for other churches and yeah. other pastors in terms of where they should go. I do think, if I might say, one of the things I think was very clever that or very important that you and the congregation, and remember this is a team thing, mm-hmm. did was that Peter had to set aside a whole year of study in 95 before there was any vote. It wasn't like you pushed it through. Right. Right. It wasn't and just your decision. It was a lot of, no. of uh, contemplation yeah. uh, uh, and uh, one year. Theological mm. reflection, yeah. wow. biblical reflection. You had, um, you know, um, uh, Reverend Bartlett, who was a well-known um, theologian from Yale Divinity School, whose uh, sister was a member of the church. You had him come. You had a, uh, some Smith faculty, uh, Bruce Dahlberg. You had a lot of people come. And I think one of the real if we're thinking about pivotal change, was that people in the congregation themselves came forward with their own stories of folks in their family Mm -hmm. who were, you know, questioning gay, lesbian, maybe even trans, as Peter has mentioned. That's Jenny Fleming Ives, and we're speaking with the Reverend Peter Ives, who will become Pastor Emeritus of First Churches Northampton at a special ceremony this Sunday. The lead pastor at First Churches Now also joins us in the studio, Reverend Sarah Buto. What does the legacy of Peter Ives leave to you, who's now at the helm of the congregation that he led for so long? As I've been uh, interviewing people um, about Peter's legacy, one of the things that becomes clear is that First Churches would not be the church it is today if it wasn't for Peter's leadership. That's one of the reasons we wanted to honor you. Um, We are handicap accessible because of Peter. We had a wheelchair ramp and an elevator put in to be open and affirming. I would say half of our congregation identifies as GLBTQ. that we, we wouldn't have half our congregation if it weren't for you having those courageous conversations back in the 90s. Um, what else? Oh, this, the, the work around anti-racism. That's, that's really central to our congregation. And um, Peter was able to do that by raising up leaders like Andrea Vazian with, and mm-hmm. Beverly Tatum, um, who wrote, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Alone in the Cafeteria? Right. right? Um, so, so many things that Peter did shaped... Um, the ethos of the congregation and then the building itself. I, I think most people know that uh, about 
12, more than that now, 15 years ago, our, our um, beautiful building, the, the, uh, the ceiling of the sanctuary caved in. And most pastors would give up at that point and walk away, but Peter <laughs> rallied, rallied the troops one more time and, and raised um, over a million dollars and restored that sanctuary because he believed um, that that church is not just for this congregation, but is the meeting house of Northampton. And it is this beautiful place where people can gather to celebrate, to, to find solace in, in hard times, to welcome um, leaders um, when we're trying to learn things from one another, to bring the whole community together. So we are who we are today because of Peter and, and Jenny and their leadership. That is the Reverend Sarah Buto, who is the pastor at First Church in Northampton, where the Reverend Peter Ives will become Pastor Emeritus this Sunday. Uh, Reverend Buto mentioned your racial equity work. One of the things that, you're, that I know you most for is how hard you worked to recognize the importance of Sojourner Truth to the Northampton community and forming the committee to bring the Sojourner Truth statue to Florence. Talk about that and why that was something important to you and as part of your ministry. Well, early on, I um, <clears throat> wanted to highlight the fact that Sojourner Truth had been here um, in this community uh, back at the time um, of the opening of people to the, the wonderful, wonderful contributions that Sojourner Truth was making here in Northampton. And so uh, it was very important to me and to a wonderful committee that I had to work with to highlight Sojourner Truth and, and her legacy and the importance of African Americans um, being part of our community and being essential to where we needed to go as a congregation and also as a community. And so the, one of the most wonderful things that has happened to me is when we built the Sojourner Truth statue um, there in Florence. And that statue became such uh, a wonderful place to celebrate the life of this wonderful woman, Sojourner Truth. And, um, and it, it still is a place where you, if you were by the statue, you still see young people, families, all sitting on the edge of this statue and paying tribute to Sojourner Truth. One of the things I remember you telling me in our years of knowing each other, Reverend Peter Eyes, we hosted a segment on WHMP for years called The Reverend and the Rabbi with Rabbi <laughs> Justin David, who's also left the Valley from Congregation B'nai Israel, talking about religious issues from all these different perspectives, which was fantastic for me as somebody who was a theology major, actually, um, <laughs> is that part of your social justice awakening has to do with not going to a, 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 a speech by Martin Luther King Jr. Can you tell us that story? Not going to a speech. Yeah. With the, with the Reverend Doctor, missing an opportunity to go see Martin Luther King Jr. speak. Is that, do I misremember that? Yes, no. when your dad went, you know. Oh, when my dad went. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. Um, but back, back when. 63. 63, um, when Martin Luther King came oh, to, Washington. to Washington, D.C., uh, my dad, as minister in, 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 in Connecticut, very much wanted to go, and and he wanted me to go with him, and he said, Peter, I would love to have you come and be with me in, in when Martin Luther King makes his speech, and 
I said, no, no, I, I just can't do that. Well, my dad went down. He was there when Martin Luther King gave his wonderful I Have a Dream speech. Um, and all I can remember is that when he came back on the bus from Washington. being in Washington and came back to Middlebury, Connecticut, um, I was there to greet him with tears in my eyes. And that made such a difference to my whole career as a minister, uh, the fact that I had to face the fact that my dad went to hear Martin Luther King, and from that point on, I never missed an opportunity to do things like that myself. Always get on that bus. Mm -hmm. Always get on the bus, Monty. It's been my honor to have known you for so long, and for you to accompany us on the March for the Food Bank, which will happen again this Monday and Tuesday, I want... Uh, one of my favorite memories of that is when <laughs> we were we were nearing downtown Northampton. And are, you, are you 80 now? Is that? 80. I'm 82. 82. Okay. So you must have been 78 or something. Maybe yeah. 75. You needed to pick up your grandchild after yeah. school. And in front of everybody, it came from behind the entourage marching and ran at top speed down into downtown Northampton so as to become your grandchild. Uh, before we let, say farewell, why is the March for the Food Bank something that you've come on so many different times? Oh, it's just so important. And you have such a wonderful, wonderful, huge community of people who understand the importance of the Food Bank. And you'll start to march from Springfield, uh, and that march will take you through uh, Holyoke, and it'll take you all the way through Northampton, the first time of the march, in, in, and then the second time in the morning, you will do one of my favorite things, is you'll walk across the bridge. The Coolidge the Bridge. The Coolidge Bridge, the Coolidge Bridge, and you will take us all across that beautiful scene of the sunrise coming up over the horizon, uh, and then you'll lead us all the way up into the rest of, of Amherst, and we had um, that wonderful opportunity to be with, I'm just- Lucio Lu Perez. Lu Lucio, Lucio Perez, who was living Perez, in sanctuary in a church you know, in Amherst. Who was in, in Amherst, and I had, I had been one of the first to uh, meet Lucio when, when he first uh, came to Springfield. Mm -hmm. um, and Rabbi Justin and I uh, were there with him at the very earliest stage when we had to go to jail in Springfield. Right. The rabbi and I went to jail in Springfield um, so that we could continue to support Lucio Perez. Who is now free and has come on the march himself yeah. and is still in the process yeah. of, of getting the correct paperwork to live in this country That's with right. unencumbered. We all owe a debt of gratitude to you, Reverend Peter Ives, for all the love and justice that you have brought over these years. Congratulations on the huge honor that you'll get this Sunday as a Reverend Emeritus of First Churches, where you served for 27 years, the Reverend Peter Ives, the lovely Jenny Fleming Ives, who I run into at the wine store at State Street all the time, and it's always fun to talk with. <laughs> Just State Street. Friday, Friday is a wine tasting day. We didn't wine taste. And, and the current pastor of First Churches, Sarah Buto. Thank you all so much. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you, Monty. Yeah, Thank you. Come to church. Thank you, Monty, for all you do. You're just wonderful for all of us on the valley. That's all the time we have. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we don't have. We have more time, and we have uh, seven tubas that we have to get to on our second phase of Live Music Friday. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I have a hard and fast 
Christmas music rule, which is no Christmas music until after Thanksgiving dinner. But I'm kind of going to break it just for the shtick of this whole thing. Tuba Christmas is happening a week from this Saturday, November 25th, at United Church of Bernardston at 1.30. Might be an outdoor performance. 35 tubas will be performing music from Carols for a Merry Tuba Christmas. And joining us are seven of these maybe 35 tubas, Steve and Joanna Damon, Greg Ingalls, Dana Tandy, Matt Kennedy, John Ritz, and Eric Schmaltz. This is not technically a Christmas song, although you might think it's a Christmas song. It may put you in the spirit. I am not violating the rule, but seven tubas will perform for you now. Green sleeves. song not a christmas song but a tuba christmas song in the tuba christmas book steve damon who is the conductor from gill tuba christmas tuba christmas why why because we've been doing this now for 50 years what is tuba christmas tuba christmas is gather all your tuba and baritone and euphonium playing friends and give them some music shut down the street get an audience around to sing songs and have one blast of a time. Yeah, a real blast with the tuba blasting out there. I wish that we'd gotten in touch earlier for you to come on the march for the food bank. Because if I had an entourage of 35 tubas, that'd be next year, though? I've, I've given you the definite maybe. Okay, that's amazing. <laughs> you have another non-Christmas Christmas song that you're going to play. Because this song is not technically a Christmas song, right? Jingle Bells? This is actually a it's Thanksgiving, actually a Thanksgiving song. song. Exactly. So I am not violating any of my own personal code, but yet still experiencing the wonder of Tuba Christmas. Just to warn you, we will be breaking rules in a couple of minutes. Oh no. Thank you. 
That was Jingle Bells, Batman Smells by Tuba Christmas, so it's not to be a Christmas song. But I, in all honesty, you listen to the lyrics of that song. doesn't mention Christmas one time. It's a Thanksgiving song. We didn't violate any rules. Tuba Christmas. Tuba Thanksgiving. Tuba Thanksgiving. But Tuba Christmas will be performing actual Christmas songs a week from this Saturday when you're in the clear at United Church of Burniston at 1.30, hopefully if the weather permits an outdoor performance. This is the weirdest thing we've ever done in the studio, and I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for coming and performing. Stephen Joanna Damon, Greg Ingalls, Dana Tandy, Matt Kennedy, John Ritz, and Eric Schmaltz. I'm going to be doing another weird thing uh, on Monday and Tuesday that will lead into Thanksgiving when we're in the clear for all things uh, Christmas, if that's what you like. I will be marching from Springfield to Greenfield, pushing an empty shopping cart as a symbol of hunger the whole way. And Monday and Tuesday on The Fabulous 413, Khalees Smith will be back here in the studio giving you updates about how things have been going on the road from the 14th annual March for the Food Bank. You can learn more about supporting the Food Bank and how hunger impacts the 413 by going to nepm.org slash hunger and if you see somebody dressed up as either ken or barbie pushing a shopping cart that's me honk or say hi or blast into your tuba thank you tuba christmas thank you for listening we'll see you on monday on the road the fabulous 413